0: We want to walk through some moments. We want to look back. We've been in the study of Ezra and Nehemiah. What we know is that God's people were in exile, and they spent about 70 years being away from their land, uh, their culture, their customs, the way they wanted and needed and felt like they had to do things. And then all of a sudden, they were granted freedom. So they found themselves back, coming back to their land But we know that there were some things in Ezra and Nehemiah that they needed to do. And we're going to walk through uh, a little review of the last several weeks of the sermon series that our teaching team has been guiding us through. But we're going to do it through the eyes of being what Vista does, worshipful, relational, and missional. So we're going to do this in segments today, and we're just going to walk through this journey. We're going to have worship. We're going to have times of prayer um, where we're just going to jump in and see what God has been doing in us through us um, in the eyes of what he's called us to do. Amen? You excited? Okay, Takasha. Thank
1: you. Hey, I just got this up here and didn't knock anything over, so already a win. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm Takasha. I'm a member of this church. I am honored to be here with you today. I do not take lightly um, the weight of holding the, the word up here. And man, I'm just honored to be a part of this body with you. Um, I just moved back to Ohio in May and was desperate for like, you know, a church to, to walk with, to do life with. And I love Vista. So just wanted to say that. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So I'm just going to talk about what the Lord uh, laid on my heart about worship during this series and i know that you guys will have taken away different things and praise god for that that's the strength of the church that the lord will reveal himself to you the lord will reveal himself to me and together at the table we will see him more clearly we will have more perspectives of him that's the strength of the body so share with me too tell me what you learned about worship in this time share that with your small groups share that with your family that's everything so um yeah, the, the task of talking about what uh, we learn through worship in Ezra and, and Nehemiah in five minutes is wild. And so um, the way I broke that down is I feel like the Lord um, has laid on my heart that I need a right thinking about worship. That's one of the things that happened in this, in this study. And then, oh man, my phone's gonna time out every 30 seconds. Um, and then the other things was looking through uh, these these books for the way that worship reveals itself in unexpected ways. And then the last thing is the main thing. what What are we gonna take from this if we can only hold one thing going forward? And so, That question of what worship really is, I think there was like a lot of conviction in my heart in this this series about that. Um, Because in my truest self, in your truest self, we know that worship is not just singing. We know that because I was out there getting it to some Taylor Swift earlier, and that was not worshipful. (laughs) It was good, don't get it twisted, but it was not worshipful. And you know that too, because we will sit here in church and we will sing to God and about God. And if our mind is not there, that's also not worshipful. We know that that's not what worship is. I think what we saw in this study is that um, it's, it's more than that. It's what we see in John 4. The Bible says that we—it's um, that's the time is coming when the Lord will call the disciples to worship him in spirit and in truth. I think that means that in our innermost parts, we are not far from him. It's also why in Matthew 15, Jesus said, um, those people honor me with their mouths and their hearts are far from me. They worship in vain. He said that their worship amounted to nothing because it didn't matter what was coming out of their mouths because their hearts weren't close to him. I think... If that is the definition of worship, that we see the Lord clearly, that our hearts are there with him, asking him what he wants from us, and then the outpouring of our lives matches those things, I think that's what it means to worship in spirit and truth. And we see that in Ezra and Nehemiah in tons of ways, right? I think the main way that we saw that is through repentance over and over and over, them realizing where they have fallen, them coming back to the Lord. Pastor Mike said that um, we should not be discouraged if if we are not perfect, because perfection is not the goal. The goal is to return to the Lord. That's the mark of the Lord's people, is that they return. Not that they never fall away, but when they do, they return. I think that repentance is worship. I think we see it over and over in Nehemiah And in Ezra I think the main way we see that is that they built the altar first they knew what do we do on the altar we bring our sacrifice to the Lord because we need atonement because we need that repentance in our life we can't we can't walk well we can't walk with him at all without repentance we cannot walk to the throne ever without the covering of Christ's blood ever They built the altar first because they knew they needed to be right before the Lord. And then they built the the temple because they knew they needed to worship in every way. That's the first thing they did when they came back from exile was that they remembered how to worship. They got in the word together. Together. They got in the word together. And they went to the temple and they gave their hearts and they gave their sacrifices. That was what worship was. Okay, so the main thing, I think the main thing is that... um, worship is everything it's everything it's the first thing and it's everything we know that because that's what heaven will be that's right. it will be the place where we can worship without sin our relationships won't keep us from worshiping our relationships with each other or our relationship with him will not will not hinder our worship that's what heaven will be it will be the place where we can worship fully oh man I can't wait I can't wait Will you guys read with me? Ezra 3, starting in verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and the Levites and heads of father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout and the sound was heard far away. They did that more traditional kind of worship. They sang, they rejoiced, they also wept, and that was all worship. Also, side note, can we talk about that happened when the foundation of the house was laid. It wasn't because the temple was rebuilt and God's people were in total prosperity and no one dared to stand against them again. They worshiped like that because the foundation was laid. At that point, they could already see that God was so good and so faithful to them. Worship is everything, y'all. That's it.
2: You know, the Apostle John, himself, just a child when he started following Jesus around the roads of Nazareth and Galilee and on down towards Jerusalem, said this, he said, He has no greater joy than to see his own children in the faith following after this same Jesus. And we got to experience that. That's so wonderful. Um, it's been so good to worship with the kids. It's actually their time to... Go back to their class now. You guys are dismissed, and I'm super excited for them because they get to hear more about how they are the children of God, that they have been made the children of God. We can have a seat in the room as they are dismissed, but, man, it is so important that they are immersed in that identity, that they hear over and again who they are, that that they are who he says they are. They're his children made in his image to bear his likeness, That's a beautiful thing, and it's an essential thing. When we actually started this series, Ezra and Nehemiah, we started with the fact that the people of Israel were having an identity crisis. They were having an identity crisis. They had been ripped from the land. Liturgy was impossible because the temple had been torn down. Their legacy was faltering. Some of them couldn't even establish what family line they were from. And, and so they had this trouble. Even the law itself had begun to falter in their hearts. Land, liturgy, legacy, and law, all of their marks of identity, they felt were faltering. We looked at the Psalms, and we saw that they were weeping on the banks of the rivers in Babylon because they felt like they had no song to sing. They didn't know who they were. But God steps in. Just like the exodus, he brings them into a new exodus. He brings them home from exile. And part of what he does when he establishes them again in the land with the liturgy of worship and reestablishes the law and helps them to understand their legacy as his children, part of what he does is remind them who they are as missional people. Missional its one of our core values. It's one we want to talk about for a few moments here. It's one of our core values, not just because it's a good thing to layer on top of who you are. It's actually one of our core values because it's who you're meant to be. You don't have to go far into the scriptures to find it. I'm talking one page. One page until we find that the children of God are being made in his image on the sixth day and being given this express privilege of reflecting his character into creation. They're given a mission at the core of who they are. And so the, the exile can't be over. They can't be home until they remember who they are as missional people of God. And part of that remembering actually, actually is the reestablishment of the Torah. Because in the Torah, even though we sometimes miss it, There is this pressing, urgent teaching to love our neighbor, to love our neighbors well. To love God and to love our neighbors, it's how Jesus summarizes the law. He wasn't stretching the truth when he said it. He wasn't grasping at straws when he said, here's the summary of the law, children. To love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That was at the core missionally. And Natalie actually walked us into this. If you remember a few weeks back when Natalie spoke, uh, out of Nehemiah 3, she noticed that each family played their role. In fact, the truth is you could go all the way back to Ezra 1. In Ezra 1, what you find is they can't even leave until all the pieces are in place. This is sort of prefiguring the teachings of Paul in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 when he says, listen, we need everybody in the body. We need every single piece of the puzzle. We're on mission and we need each other. We, we need God and we need each other to be fully on mission. So you see it, yeah, in, in Ezra 1, you see it in Nehemiah 3 where everyone is playing their part. Missionally, shoulder to shoulder, making people safe. That's what they're doing when you get to Nehemiah. They're building the wall. The wall's about safety. Unfortunately, sometimes the mission falters. That's another thing we picked up on, that the wall becomes less about safety and more about exclusion. But we know that the the, the ultimate aim in Jesus, especially if we look at Revelation, is walls that make people safe and gates that are flung wide open. So what we can see, the children of God at their best when they understand that they are on mission with God is that they are building this wall, making themselves vulnerable in the process so that other people can be safe. Can I just tell you that this is the mission of the people of God, to become vulnerable so other people can be safe. And you know how I know it? It's the life that Jesus lived. It is summed up in Jesus, that he made himself vulnerable ultimately so that we could be made safe, so that we could be reminded again and again who we are and get to join in with him. I actually know somebody who herself became vulnerable in certain ways uh, in order to help make other people safe. Um, You probably know her, but we wanna make sure you know her. We're gonna bring her up on stage. Her name is Sharon Kozar. Why don't you give her a hand and welcome her. Sharon is one that went out from our community, and ultimately, that took her across the globe, first to Cambodia on several uh, short-term trips, and then eventually to Papua New Guinea. But I don't want to steal her thunder too much. Um, But I just have a few questions, because we haven't gotten a full-on update from Sharon in just a little while. So we want to sort of hear about the ways that God is expressing his heart through her on mission. Uh, So Sharon, first, could you just tell us sort of what your doing these days Uh, I know that COVID sort of turned your world upside down a little bit so what are you doing now
3: okay so yeah I did have COVID in PNG that was not real fun Um, in March of 2021 I came back here on a one-year home assignment thinking that I was going to go right back I needed some rest and restoration and um, then I realized that the Lord was asking me to stay here I was like no you called me to be an overseas missionary. If I'm not overseas, what am I? So I struggled with that for quite a while, and I spoke with our headquarters in Dallas, and they asked me if I wanted to move to Dallas. I said, no, I just moved back. I'm closer to my family now. I want to stay here. And so I checked out a a few options. They offered me positions in um, working with the diaspora, the refugees. And the way I, I fix that in my heart is I volunteer at the ESL classes and so I get to hear all different languages and I love it. Uh, they also offered a typesetting course, which is what they do when the Bible needs to be, it has to be typeset and then it goes to the printer and then it comes back. That's feast or famine because Bibles are not always being finished. So I kind of passed those two off. And the, and the one that, that I settled on, or the Lord settled my heart on, is with the development department And so I get to call all of our first time donors, call on them. And when I, even if I call them on the telephone, I can hear them smile because I get to thank them for being such a great part of the Great Commission. And that, you guys, VISTA, and several of you personally are part of that too. You are giving to help accomplish the Great Commission.
2: Uh, As as you're working with, pioneer Bible translators and doing this with donor relations, to me, when I hear that, I find like, wow, that's sort of perfect for you. That's like Sharon clicking into place, knowing essentially who God intended for you to be. Not that it wasn't always this way, but that it is this way now. And so I just wanted to hear actually a little bit about the ways that this brings joy for you, that participating in, in God's shalom in this way uh, brings about joy in your life.
3: Yeah, I was kind of worried about joy because I felt incredible joy in Papua New Guinea. I love it there. And I didn't think I was coming back to stay. I thought I was going to come back just for a little bit. So what gives me joy is, well, I kind of shared, I touched on a little bit of that, the fact that I get to let people know that they are a part of the Great Commission. When you give to, Papua, or to Pioneer Bible Translators or to me or any of the missionaries, you are advancing the Word of God. And it's, it's just that gives me joy to be able to tell people, you, you're not just giving your money to somebody for something. You're giving God's money to God for this purpose, and we're accomplishing it together.
2: Uh, that's really beautiful um, to be able to do this work shoulder to shoulder. You have mentioned Papua New Guinea a few times, and I know it wasn't in your plans to come home, but God has used it. But could you tell us a little bit about what your plans are regarding Papua New Guinea?
3: Yeah, that's been difficult, um, but I have been invited to go back. I need to go back to finish there. My national family needs to be able to release me to live in America. They, they're they holding me too tight now and they need to be able to release me, see that I'm okay, and that I, it's okay to live here with my other family. Uh, so I've been invited at this particular time to go back and help my friend Martha dedicate her her entire Bible. The New Testament is all in the Apari language, but part of the Old Testament is in Tokpisin, which is our trade language, and part is in English, but that was how they decided to do it. And they did an audio version of it, too, for people who don't know how to read. So when I go back in, it'll be mid-July and mid-August, um, I will be the one who is overseeing all the expats and getting them from the airport, getting them settled, getting them on the helicopter, which is the only way we can get to Martha's Village because the river will be too low at this time. And that, that's going to be a challenge, so pray for me. Um, and then uh, after the dedication and I get everybody back on the helicopters and we all get back to town, then I'm going to be packing up my stuff which I left a lot of it in my flat and I have a container that has my stuff and I don't wanna do it. I wanna stay there and I wanna be here with my family but I can't, I can't do both.
2: I know that's gonna be a powerful moment but probably a very, very bittersweet moment for you. But I'm so glad that it will include A chance to celebrate again with a tribal village as they receive the scriptures. We talked actually just a moment ago about how Ezra helps to reestablish Torah. Uh, There's actually a way that the authors of Ezra and Nehemiah are reminding us that this has happened before. Um, the, the, The lineage of the high king, sorry, the high priests at the time of Josiah, the king, um, are are sort of represented in their line when we get back to Ezra and Nehemiah. Those people are there to reestablish the law, the, the Torah. And when we see this happening, each time we see the Torah reestablished, maybe after the Exodus or the King Josiah or now after the exile, we see this emotion welling up for the people of God as they are again uh, learning to... W- to to wear the the word of God on their sleeve or have it written on their hearts in a certain way, which is the ultimate goal, right? What Paul tells us that Jesus has made this possible, that the law would be finally written on our hearts. So you've gotten to see this up close. You've gotten to see it with your own eyes what it's like for people to receive the word. God, God spoke and inspired his people to write the truth and here they're receiving it. Can you give us a, just a little bit of a glimpse of what that's actually like to see that front row seat for people to receive that?
3: Oh my gosh, it is so amazing. It is so amazing. Okay, like imagine the Super Bowl, but about God. These people, <laughs> they, they are so excited and you'll see a video of the Wadon people receiving the word of God and the Bill or William and Robin Butler lived in this village for 40 years, and they raised two children there. They had to get to know the people, which is not real easy, because they're not real trusting of white people. They don't, they don't know us. They don't know about us. They had to build the relationship, create an alphabet, create the words, teach them their alphabet, teach them how to read their words and make a sentence, and then learn how to actually translate the word of God into their language. And it takes a long time. It is an amazing process. So the very first one that I got to go to, we flew on a small aircraft, and they I felt like I stepped into National Geographic. You'll get a glimpse of, of a little bit of it in this one, but this is different. So it's just it is so incredibly exciting. Uh, when you see one boat that's traveling in the video that's when they're actually receiving the word of God, okay? Uh, William is greeted. Robin came later. And, um, yeah, it's just there's so much music and so much dancing, and it was the entire time before we got there, and it's probably still going on in some ways because they just don't stop.
2: So you said there's a video?
3: There is a video, and and then after the video, I'm going to tell you what they're singing in the song. It's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, let's take a look at the video.
0: Because of
4: what this translation means to the Wateran people, they just were celebrating, worshiping God in their own language, and they didn't want to stop. celebrated the way they wanted to celebrate for as long as they wanted to and it was over several days and no doubt in many ways the celebration is still going on in Water and Land.
3: The bamboo band is so much fun. It's so much fun to watch them. It's great. So I want to tell you what the words are that they're singing. Okay? They sang, there is no other way. There is only one to go up to the Father's village. It is here. It is here. The road to heaven is right here. The road is here. It is here. Oh, heaven's road is here. So they got a taste of that Literally, because my teammate, Bethany, who was in the green shirt, it's her family, Bethany Butler, she passed away in November of 2020, and so they found out, like, they had full revelation of their words and their work, and they want to know Jesus. For one thing, they want to see their sister, Bethany, and that's really important You know, they they understand the full meaning of it. So I just want to say thank you. A lot of you guys support Pioneer Bible Translators. You support me, and I'm incredibly grateful. Please continue. And I want to, oh, I have business cards. There's one. And I have these cool little stickers for Pioneer Bible Translators. They're out there if you guys want them. You can ask me any questions. I love talking about it. And this is a Wadon. New Testament that I get to give to Vista, which I love being able to do that because you guys are a huge part of this. You help Bible translation go forward. Thank you.
2: Amen. Thank you so much for being with us, Sharon. Thank you so much. Talk about a return from exile, right? Talk about a return from exile where this village gets to fully experience the fact, the full-on fact that they are the children of God they are on the road home, that they are at home with God because of what Jesus has done for them. That's, that's a return from exile.
4: That's worth worshiping about. It, it, for some of you, you were, you were praying alone. Thank you. For some of you, you were, you were praying together in community. And so it, it feels a little odd for me to draw your attention up here and ask you to stop being relational so that I can now tell you about the importance of being relational. But I'm going to do it anyway. You know, I think something that we, we've already seen as demonstrated all morning long is that worship, being re- worshipful, being relational, being on mission, they're all connected. They are wed together, they are married. Takasha talked about the importance of worshiping together. Adam talked about the importance of being on mission together. And here we are talking about relationship. You know, it's. it's it's no surprise to any of us, I don't think, that it is within the context of community that we experience some of our deepest wounds in family, in church, and at work, in our friend groups, at school. But it's also within the context of community that we experience healing that we experience celebration, that we experience joy. And this is certainly apparent as we read through the book of Nehemiah together. There are our people, there are moments, there are relationships that are incredibly discouraging. And yet there are relationships that are incredibly encouraging. We see this contrast not only in Nehemiah, we see it in all of scripture. We we see it in all kinds of historical writings, all kinds of fictional writings. We see it in our own lives. You see, our words and our actions have tremendous potential to place courage into others, and they also have tremendous potential to take courage from others. Have you ever considered the word Encouragement and the word discouragement before. To encourage, encourage, it literally means to put courage into someone, to give them strength, to give them hope, to to make them brave. That's what it means to encourage. We feel that. And similarly, to discourage means to take courage from someone, to rip strength from them, to sap them of their strength. Our words and our actions have tremendous potential to do these things. Nehemiah chapter 2, we see Nehemiah in front of the king. He had been cupbearer to the king. And as he goes to the king and he begins to tell the king his vision, his hopes, what he feels like God is calling him to do, the king blesses him. And as a result of that blessing, as a result of that relationship, Nehemiah is more inspired. He is given strength. He is encouraged. It would have been a very different conversation, maybe a different book in the Bible had the king said no. Had the king objected had the king not offered to help and then Nehemiah leaves the king's presence to go and examine the wall and as he looks around the wall he begins to formulate a plan as he's praying and he then begins to speak to the people of Jerusalem and he says hey guys listen this is what God has placed on my heart I believe God wants us to rebuild this wall and the people listened and do you know how they responded they said in Nehemiah chapter 2, they said, let's start rebuilding. And by that action, by that commitment to be alongside of him, through their words, Nehemiah was encouraged. He, they placed strength into him. They put it into him. Our words have tremendous potential to impact. And then we enter a few antagonists into the story. Sanballat, and Tobiah. We see these guys, for whatever reason, they are very threatened by Nehemiah's plans to build the wall. They felt insecure about it for some reason, and so they began to try and thwart the plan. And how did they try and thwart it? By trying to discourage Nehemiah. Intentionally, they were trying to remove strength from him, remove courage from him. They assaulted him with words of discouragement. And when that wasn't working, what did they do? They began to try and stir up controversy controversy in the surrounding kingdoms so that hopefully the military might around them would begin to discourage them from doing God's work. They were hoping to rob him of strength. And their negativity certainly had some influence. But Nehemiah and those with him took this burden to God. And they bound themselves together around their common call and vision. They adjusted their focus on the wall to include positioning men with weapons wherever there were workers. You see, what the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. God used it to strengthen their resolve, to bind them together. The kind of community that would have been built as these people worked side by side, protecting one another, praying for one another, was exactly the kind of community that God had always imagined for his people. And it's the kind of community that he imagines for you. You see, relationships are oftentimes built as we work side by side, as we face adversity together, as we walk with one another through trial. Don't miss the relational opportunities you have before you. There's work being done at the France Road building, and we can actually see tiles coming up and going back in in different places. We see things changing, but don't be fooled. That's not all that's happening there. Because as people are working side by side, relationships are being found, relationships are being formed. Kids community, if you're serving there, you know what I'm talking about. If you're part of the connections team, you know what I'm talking about because you're serving side by side with people. Don't miss the opportunity to go to Cambodia if you feel like God is calling you to do that. Relationships there will be found and forged. Serve side by side. It's what God is imagining for you to experience relationship in this way. And I'll conclude with this. Continue to place yourself before him within context of community. Mm-hmm. Experience the goodness of his encouragement. Yeah. Yeah, good. Allow the courage that he places in you, mm-hmm. the hope that is made alive in you to transform you into being the kind of person who puts courage into others yeah. instead of taking it from them. Yeah, so I want to invite Debbie up here. Debbie is going to come and she's going to share with us a little bit about how God has been transforming her in the context of relationship and community.
5: Um, Hi. Hi, everyone. I think everyone knows me. If no, I'm Debbie. Hi. I can be your best friend. Uh, (laughs) Tammy can say that. Um, Relationship. We were create we were made to be relational, and relationship is something that scares everyone, at least me. Um, when I say I'm gonna be your friend, I'm gonna be your friend. I'm gonna be there, even if your house is messy, even if you are just woke up from the bed and like have a messy hair, I'm gonna be there. <laughs> Taking pictures probably, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, It's okay, you're gonna laugh at them later. Um, We are, we need to be more connected in an individualism world. Everyone we create like to be individually, um, to do things by our own, to our kids, your guys' kids go to college uh, and they're gone from your home and like, it's like what the world now is creating but what God wants is to just us be relational, uh, be friends, be like fight, fighting in our own struggles together because what the enemy wants is for us to be alone, to feel alone and it's a sad, it's a sad uh, emotion and like he can turn you down so far and like if you don't have friends to relate on but yeah, when you say like, yes, I have Jesus. Yeah, you have Jesus, but Jesus but people around you to be together. Um, one thing that terrifies, I can be your friend, but I struggle to let people be my friend, to share my burdens, to share my needs. Uh, it terrifies me. I like helping, but I'm not good at letting people help me. I think a couple of people can say that. Um, but it's, it's a scary it's a lot of vulnerability in that space that you don't want to let people in but it's worthy it's not easy but it's worthy um, the Bible said clear that we are to carry each other's burdens and Galatians 6 2 it say carry each other's burdens in this way, you will fulfill the life of Christ. Um, when I moved from my country, I, my biggest prayer was God, take me where I have community. I, I need people to do life. Um, and I need people that push me through Jesus. Uh, when I got to Vista, uh, my friend Angie Bell told me about for four months, go to my church, go to my church. Like, I have a church. She would like better my church. (laughs) She was right. Vista, it's my family. I can call Vista my family. I have this address as my home because it is home for me. Not because I live here technically everywhere, (laughs) but um, it is my home. You guys play a huge role in my life and it's been impact my life forever I can talk others about Vista Not because this is like the giant building the best building ever which is this. but um, the people the people here it's amazing the greeting at the front. It was my favorite thing ever when I just came here because there's people that don't say know you and say, hi, welcome to come. It's like, okay, thank you. But, yeah, it's great. It's great and thank you for being my family. Thank you for being my best friends. I don't think I can have one best friend. It's so many of you guys. But thank you for for a form part of my life i love you guys and please connect with each other like don't make a bubble sometimes we make a bubble and we stay in our own circle and don't pe- let people in or be out it's it's time to just pop that bubble and let others in into your mess into your life thank you